In the following live session recording, Marty Godfrey, executive pastor at Burt Hickory Baptist Church in Powder Springs, Georgia, leads a session entitled Disciple Making. Our churches should be about the Great Commission, making disciples. However, there are numerous discipleship models currently being rolled out in churches that bypass the Sunday school ministry. The listener can evaluate your current model and learn how to elevate the disciple-making efforts of your Sunday school. Let's join Marty now. Um, so as I come to you, I've, I have a heart for churches. I've been in small, I grew up in small rural, I've been in fast-growing churches, different ones, and I found that there are principles that are true regardless of where you are or the size, church, even denominations and those different things. Those are the principles that I want to pull and bring and for us to discuss. So we're actually going to talk quite a bit in this particular class. So if you're really an introvert, sorry about that, because you'll probably uh, be made to talk. Sorry about that. So, hey, we're going to start out. If you're going to make disciples, first you've got to figure out what is a disciple. So everybody have a handout. You got something to write with? Anybody need a pen? Okay, by now you should have something to write with. So here's the definition that we're going to use. Disciple is someone who loves the Lord, lives the Word. You notice I didn't just say knows the Word. They live it. They serve the body. And they live on mission. Would you like to have a whole boatload of those in your church? The whole church. Wouldn't that be awesome? I mean, that's what we're in it for. Jesus' last instructions before he ascended was, I'm giving you everything you need. Power of my Holy Spirit. Go and make disciples. I've patterned it for you while I was here. Take that. I'm going to put it in writing in the Holy Scriptures. I'm going to make that available to you 2,000 years after I sin, I'm still going to be available to you. Just incredible, incredible riches. So here's the question then. Church has been around for a long time. That's the way that God has chosen to take the kingdom out, to make disciples. It's through the local body of believers. So, well, how do the, how does a typical church make disciples? So, how do we typically make disciples in our churches? What do y'all see? Through the Sunday school, okay. What's our process? What's our process for making disciples? Somebody joins the church and we tell them to be seated on the front row. <laughs> Fist bump, yeah, there we go, that's it, that's good, I like that, it's good, okay, relationships, okay, so I, I would say that the average church does it this way, we reach somebody, we tell them they need to start coming to church and Sunday school. And then if they're lucky, we may offer a discipleship course periodically that they can take. And then uh, we assume that 
they're going to become a disciple at that point, right? I mean, this is it's really sad. It, like, um, one of the last experiences I had with the uh, with Bell South was that we, we had 100,000 employees. We were the largest of the baby Bells. And so um, they picked 12 of us from different departments to come in and work with this high-powered German consulting group to re-engineer the company and to, uh, to take it down to the six to eight key systems processes that, because the, they have found that every organism, every organization can be taken down to six or to eight systems or processes, and which basically comes from God, because he created everything. Even our system of our body is broken down into those systems and so forth. And um, I had a lot of exp opportunities to study. Some of you guys, it'd be very boring, but it was basically processes and so forth. And, um, uh, it, it, but, but what dawned on me was the process is essentially if you have an input and then there's a process and then there's an output. So if you would, for us, the input would be what? Of making new Yeah, a lost, unchurched person. They go through whatever our disciple-making process is, and they come out somebody who loves the Lord, lives the Word, serves the body, and lives on mission. And so here's this. And so I've led lots of conferences over the years, and I've asked pastors to basically write down what their process is of making disciples to which I have these blank stares. And uh, because here's the importance of that, McDonald's has become, it's the best uh, restaurant in the world, arguably, you may not like you know, their hamburger, but uh, the reason is, is because they have gotten so good at identifying their processes that if I go to McDonald's here, get some french fries, and then if I go back home, get the French fries, if I go on a mission trip over to Ukraine like I do sometimes in Kiev, on Independence Square, McDonald's there, I get same taste, identical. And what's happened is they have made it fail safe this, and they can teach a kid, a teenager, pay a minimum wage, and yet they can come out with the same results. They have thought so much through the process. And that's just to sell a hamburger. Our process is the greatest process in all the world, which is making disciples. And yet we have put so little thought into what that process is. So um, we basically kind of do this. We say, well, yeah, get them involved with church, Sunday school. And then uh, sometimes, you know, you offer discipleship courses and, whether it's on marriage, uh, finances, Beth Moore, whatever it may be. And we assume they're just going to grow at that point. Well, here's a question I have for you folks. In our churches today, who has taken the responsibility for developing the disciples? In other words, if somebody comes into your, I have this young guy in our life group, he's a new believer. Who is taking responsibility in our churches to make sure that Justin 
becomes a disciple of Jesus? Who takes that responsibility in our churches? Like a year later, I can go back and say, tell me about Justin. How, how are we doing? How is he growing? Who takes that responsibility? The pastor. The pastor? He does everything else. He may as well take that one too for the team. No, I know, I know, I know. No, I'm not. I, yeah, I mean, that's where we kind of figure it out that it, it falls. We had a but, pastor that actually, when he became saved, yeah. he would go through the whole process with him. And that's not a disciple. Wow. But well, that's fantastic. Now that's good stuff and bad stuff. Why is that good stuff and bad stuff? Exactly. That's right. Because we put all the ministry on the pastor. And we've talked, if you've been in any of my classes before, that's a violation of scriptures. Ephesians four eleven through thirteen says pastors are always to equip the saints for the work of service, for the work of ministry of the church. But yet we keep expecting the pastor to do all the ministry. So that it's great that he's doing that. It's bad and that nobody else knows how to sit down right. with, with young believers and take them through something. So that's why I, I want... It's not biblical either because Jesus didn't decide, he disciple for them to be disciple-makers. Exactly. He didn't just say, okay, everybody that's going to come, I'm going to... That's right. I'm going to take care of them. I'm going to teach you, and then you teach somebody else. It, uh, yeah. I, I mean, Ab, that's what he modeled. That's what was taught. That's what Paul states in Ephesians 4, is that it's unbiblical. It's unbiblical for us to expect the pastor to, be, to do every ounce of ministry in the church and then get mad at him when, when we don't feel like he lets us out early enough to go to lunch on Sunday. So, you know, <laughs> poor guy. We've given him this insurmountable list of stuff to do. Well, let me ask you this. Should the Sunday school teacher take responsibility for developing disciples in the church today? Yes. I mean, is that a, is that a possibility? I think it should be a shared responsibility. But okay. With whom? I think with who? the people in the Sunday school class, actually. At the end of the year, who am I going to check with to see the progress of someone spiritually? Could be. Okay, that's absolutely a possibility. I mean, I'm asking these questions because we need to, we need to ask those questions. We need to figure it out. Like, if, if the whole reason that we're here is to make disciples, don't you think that we need to talk about that a little bit? I mean, that'd be good. Uh, to know like, who's responsible if that's really the, the end goal of why we're here. So I think it'd be good uh, in a breakdown. Yeah. So you have your pastor, he hires his Sunday school director, and he has the Sunday school teachers under him. Okay. So if I'm the pastor, I could talk to my Sunday school director and say, now, who is Jason's Sunday school teacher? Yeah. I want to talk to them. How many contacts have you made with Jason? What kind of attendance do you see from Jason? What kind of growth do you see from Jason? You haven't seen any. Who have you let know? Mm-hmm. Do the uh, do the teachers know that's their responsibility? Therein lies the people. Before you go and ask them, I mean, do they even know that's their responsibility? What do they think is their responsibility? We call them Sunday school teachers. Do the lesson. Do the lesson. 
because we've done it to them. We call it Sunday school, and we call them a teacher, and we give them a teacher's, uh, you know, quarterly or whether it's Herschel Hobbs, so that they can up their game and teach. And uh, so, you know, we've not, and, and what I'm doing here, listen, this is where I'm going with my church in the coming months is uh, I've already started this last year to go back through. I really need to change. I've changed the name of Sunday School to Life Group because it explains the four responsibilities, uh, learning God's Word involved in ministry, fellowship, and evangelism. It's kind of an acrostic. I want them to see that they're responsible for those. But the next thing I need to do is figure out a better nomenclature than the word teacher. Because teacher means I want them just to prepare and come in and lecture. And then they've done their job. And I don't know what that is. I hadn't figured that out. Leader, coach, I don't know. They're kind of a discipler. They're a master discipler. It's what the Sunday school teachers need to be. They're pastors. They are lay pastors. That's what we taught. No, that teach our life group leaders. You pastor those ten people. That's what you do. uh, You you sound like you were in one of my earlier courses yesterday. That's what I was teaching. Is that you're a lay pastor? I remember when I was teaching at First Baptist Snellville, this young couple's class, and um, a couple had a baby born, died two weeks later. They asked me to do the graveside service, and I'm like. I'm, I'm not a pastor. <laughs> I'm just your Sunday school teacher. Uh-huh. And it's like, well, they don't really know the pastor like they do me. I'm the one that visited them in the hospital. We organized food for them. I've been praying for them about the baby. It's only natural they would come back to me. And so it's like, oh, I'm a lay pastor. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, that's scary. But all of us are ministers. Just because I went to see my older two, they remember me when I was just a Christian businessman. My daughter didn't know me as a Christian businessman. She just knew me as a pastor because she was younger. And I tried to explain to her, I said, listen, I'm the same guy I was when I was in business. I, I just get paid by the church now. I was a minister when I was in business. I had a different location I went to and, and stuff. I don't know that we've taught that to our people. And so uh, we've got a ways to go uh, with us thinking through it and teaching and equipping our people with that. So how, how could, if we said the Sunday school teacher is the right location for somebody to be responsible for developing disciples, how could, um, how could they take responsibility? How could they take responsibility? They could uh, take responsibility by asking those men as well, their little disciples, and they ask them every week. Tell me about your coaching time. Tell me what you're learning. Okay. Tell me who you're inviting. Who has you carried the gospel with? Okay. What's going on in your life? You got to know. Him. Jesus built that. He made he made those disciples by what this guy saying by building relationships with. Him. Mm-hmm. He even didn't start with the twelve. He started with who? Yeah. Yeah, he sure did. And then it went twelve, and then one hundred and twenty. So, 
uh, I want to throw out a concept here. Go with me if you would. And I mentioned this. I don't know if any of y'all were in the very first one I did yesterday. The concept of, of the Sunday school teacher being a travel agent or being a tour guide. Now let me tell you, back in March of this year, I uh, took my, uh, my wife and my two older kids on a mission trip to Kenya. And we've had a partnership there for about four or five years as a church. Had an incredible time. And we sent our students there, uh, about 120 of our students on a mission trip. And we always tag on a couple of days of something special for them. So we worked with this Christian lady there who was a travel agent. And she booked them on a safari. So my oldest son, he's like, Dad, we're already going to be there. The biggest cost is just the airfare. You know, could we do like a safari or something? So I got, I talked to this lady who was very reasonable. In fact, I would encourage everybody go on a mission trip and then look for an opportunity like that. It was amazing. So here we are in front of our safari mobile, the uh, Jeep. I mean, it was a real deal. It was absolutely amazing. And so like, we are going out and just driving as far as you can see. Like, I mean, this was me taking picture with my cell phone kind of deal. <laughs> the elephant looking at me right in the eye. This lion, I mean, we're right there on, I mean, we're in the, in the Jeep, we're watching him. Now he did, at one point, he looked at us and then he, he gave out a big roar one time. It got our attention. But uh, I, now, I've never tried doing this, but here, what you do, and let's see if this works. I'm supposed to have a hyperlink on here. There we go. Uh, that's what we did. We drove around in the middle of nowhere and uh, <laughs> this is our guide up here. And so Becky and I went back, they were there. And we're driving out like in the middle of, well, it's not hardly nowhere because you got Mount Kilimanjaro back here. But, uh, and then he'd, get, he'd stop, he'd get his binoculars out. And then all, and then his radio would go off. And all of a sudden, man, whoo, we'd go and you'd see a cluster of about, about seven or eight jeeps circled around and you'd pull in and there was like a lion with his dinner like a zebra that had been caught and it's just wow i mean it was like the most incredible experience ever and so uh, anyway it, it, it was something so this is this is our tour guide and he is absolutely amazing he's a believer she only hired believers but like like what he did, what he taught us and everything was simply amazing. For like a week we did this. It was crazy. And so the question is, what's the difference between a tour guide and a travel agent? What's the difference between a tour guide and a travel agent? I mean, it's pretty obvious. But somebody go ahead and say it. Tour guide and I'll walk with you. Yeah. Yeah. Travel agent's just going to plan and tell you what you can do, and here you go, and it's what you should do. Well, I found that what happens is most of our Sunday school teachers see themselves as a travel agent. We come in and teach the Word. I mean, we teach the Word. I mean, as Baptists, we do teach the Word. There's no question about it. Uh, but uh, how would you explain the difference between a teacher who is a tour guide versus a travel agent? How would you explain the difference between the two kind of teachers. 
tra uh, uh, travel agent will teach you how to show your hand. Right. Which one did Jesus do? Now, he was definitely a tour guide. Now, let me remind you, well, since you weren't in a couple of my classes, this is the first I won't remind you. I'll remind you and you, but the rest of you, let, let me go back over some principles. Did you know that the uh, rates of people, um, like your most frequent attenders now attend less frequently? You know that? Used to a frequent attender attended 3.7 times a month. Now they attend 2.7 times a month. Those that actually attended um, um, less frequently, like uh, two times a month, they come once every couple of months now. And the folks who just came in frequently, they don't even come. So what's happening is attendance, average attendance in churches all over America is doing this. Um, but it doesn't mean that we're losing them. It just means they're coming less frequently. This is very, very important. Like I did a study on the young married couples in our, in our church, and for the last quarter, it showed the average attendance was going down. And I'm like, uh-oh. I looked and I pulled the unique attenders, like over four-week periods, I'll pull it, to see how many are actually attending. And it increased by 12%. This is a trend that's happening in all of our churches right now. And uh, so what's happening is people are doing traveling ball on Sundays. They are trying to find a little extra time in their week with their family. Um, the uh, 20s and 30-somethings, the biggest, one of the big trends with them is they're buying campers. And they're going camping with their families on weekends. Uh, because they're trying to disconnect, because the phone and technology has them on 24-7 right now. Mm -hmm. So we can't count. So we have always counted on Sunday morning being the time where our discipleship happens. Now, as a result, now I won't, but really, I'm not sure we had that right, to be honest. Like if you look in Acts chapter 2, at the start of the New Testament church after um, Pentecost, they were, that's when small groups started. They were meeting in each other's homes daily, breaking bread together, having fellowship. So they were already doing it seven days a week. But as a result, disciples are not made just on Sunday. Disciples are made seven days a week. That's the first principle. Disciples are made seven days a week. And discipleship involves life on life outside of a classroom. Now, what does life on life look like? It looks messy. <laughs> it does look messy. That is a great word for it. Great word for it. Give me a couple of alternatives what it might look like. time. Something we don't like to share. We're willing to come to church, but if you got to go outside there. Well, here's the other thing. Brad Wagner of Lifeway Research came out, extensive research, and unequivocally the number one factor that shows spiritual growth is not how many times did they come to church. It's not how much money they gave. 
It's none of those boxes that I used to check them. Well, it was. It was one of the boxes I used to check them off for an envelope. And that is, did they read their Bible daily unassisted? In other words, they weren't being spoon-fed by the pastor or by you, the Sunday school teacher. They were doing it on their own. So these are the principles of discipleship is that it's got to go outside Sunday morning. It's got to be somebody sitting down outside of a classroom as life happens. And it needs to result in them getting into the Word daily. So, the question is, how could a disciple-making tour guide teacher incorporate those three principles into their discipleship strategy? That's a mouthful. But like, how could a disciple-making teacher who's decided to be all in, they're not just going to be a tour guide, they're not just going to teach a lesson and be finished with the folks, how can they take those three principles that it takes seven days a week, takes life on life, and it results in them getting in the Word daily. How could they come up with such a strategy? What would it look like? It'd be a pyramid. A pyramid? Okay. You do it two, then they do it maybe two. Because you as a teacher, even if you just have 12 people, that would almost do That's right. That's why there's some big, big, big things happening around the nation around discipleship. And uh, that's kind of the used to worship was the buzzword. I don't know what the next buzzword was. Today it's discipleship. So there is a lot of efforts going on. And they all agree that Jesus was the original pyramid marketing person because it results in multiplication, not addition. In other words, he knew if he poured into the three guys, the 12 guys, then they poured in, he could leave and it keeps going on. Like if you got... Boy, I wish I could remember this. If you had the choice of me giving you a million dollars right now, I know you'd take it and run. But versus if I gave you a penny today and every day for 30 days I doubled that, which one would you take? I'd take the million dollars. (laughs) Did you do it? You remember what it came out to? It ends up being like $16 million. It's a lot more than $1 million. And it's because the, the power of multiplication. And that's really, Jesus is behind that one. That's how he wants us to disciple. So what you do, if you have 12 people, you're right. You don't have the time, resources, and all to pour into 12. So you figure out, like Jesus did, who are your three? And then you start pouring. And then you continue it from there. Um, um, what might a week in the life of a Sunday school teacher who takes responsibility for developing disciples look like? What would a week in the life of such a teacher look like if they really took on the responsibility of developing disciples? Busy. Busy? Teacher... Right now, I'm one of our life group leaders, and uh, I got one guy. I'm a life group leader, also. So I have one guy that I meet with. I try to meet with every week, but ultimately, you 
usually end up every other week. But I try to pour into his life. Yep. And I got him right beside me at the table. And I tell him, man, I need him. Well, here's the deal. You've got to put something. I start. God really was really good to me. This is like the heart. This is like, if you go all the way down to the center of my heart, this is my heart. In 1983, I had a, a guy who was with Camps Crusade for Christ, who was over their Atlanta Businessmen's Division. And he was my Sunday school teacher, but he was also with Crusade. And he, I remember starting then, there were four of us that met downtown Atlanta at the Georgia Power Headquarters building at 5.45 on Monday mornings so that we could meet for an hour and a half and still make it to our jobs in time. And um, what that did, and I can still tell you who the guys were in that, what that did was that set the course for the rest of my life. Now it's been 36 years. I still practice that discipline today where even when I moved, when I was in business and moved or whatever, I always asked God to provide me some key individuals that I could meet with on a weekly basis. Now what I do is I do one morning a week. So like now, Wednesday morning, 6.45, you'll find me at Chick-fil-A on Mars Hill Road with some young guys. And um, I'm doing life on life with those guys. And um, it is the richest uh, thing that I have done. One of the guys, um, Justin, and it was just a few months ago, Justin came and uh, to Sunday school. Justin's not a tall guy in stature, but he was served in the uh, army in Afghanistan, he has PTSD, he had an IED blow up, he has brain damage, they didn't expect him to live, he's all tatted, he's rougher than a cob. First Sunday I met him, hey, I'm Marty Gubbins. Hey, my name's Justin, it's probably the first and last time you'll meet me. My wife's been getting, trying to get me to come here for three years. I finally told her I'd do it, but this is the last one. I said, well man, it's great to have you here today, Justin. <laughs> great to have you here. And so, uh, and lo and behold, Justin came back the next week. And then all of a sudden, he found out that I'm getting together with those guys on Wednesday morning, and he thought he would start coming to that. And then before long, Justin gave his life to Christ. Yeah. Justin wrestled because um, when it blew up, uh, he said that the, of all the guys who died, it shouldn't have been the one who died because he was the only one that really had any respect for God at all. And, and he just, it, it just torments him. And, um, uh, and, but you know what? The other guys at the table who were his age, they're like, Justin, do you realize what God did by sparing you? He has an increase. And they said, you have a story that we don't have. Do you know if you allow God to grow you spiritually, you will have an influence that goes beyond what any of us can have. And, and you know, Justin just doesn't, it's, and that just, that messed with him. And uh, one of the guys gave him a Bible and asked him to start reading the book of John with him. 
And so then before long, I started getting Facebook messages from Justin asking, now what does this mean? I'm reading this in verse whatever. What does that mean? And so I'm messaging him back as to you know what that means and stuff. Well, we took the summer off. Uh, sometimes we'll do that, but Becky's dad ended up passing away, and we just had a rough time. Moved to mother and assisted living. And I want you to know that the last three weeks, Justin has been pestering me. I could pull it up right now on my messenger, and you could see, when are we going to start back on Wednesday mornings? What I found was that these guys, one of them, their kid plays traveling ball, and it's ridiculous. I mean, they have traveling t-ball teams now. <laughs> like, where do they travel to? From home plate to the outfield? And I mean, like, who is that for the kid or for the parents? You know the answer to that. So anyway, so I got one guy in there who is really sharp. He's George Busby's grandson. Y'all remember George Busby? Mm -hmm. Busby, our governor. His grandson. I got Justin. And I've got um, a couple of other guys that, like George Busby's grandson, they bought him a camper because he and his wife both work, and they like to disconnect. So those guys will be, and then another guy, he's in traveling ball with his kid. So on Sunday morning, I won't, rarely will I see all of those guys in Sunday school the same Sunday. But I've found Wednesday morning they'll be there because I'm life on life with them. And that allows me to go further with them than me just teaching the lesson to them. Now, God can use that in their lives, yeah. But the life on life is where it happens. Now, um, Let me ask you, yes. Do you, is there, how do, do you ever transition to them doing their own group? Yes, you do. How, what, Here's what you do. You do both. What you do is that I'm getting ready. Uh, actually, I'm, I've got, so I'll mention it just a second. In January, I'm going to launch some new ones of those. But I'm still going to leave because I believe... Wait, those same four guys or are you going to have four new guys? Well, how, those four, these four guys, about how long will they be in life for the it, uh, it depends. Okay. In that group, it depends. Okay. I'm going to because... You know, it's just like, I remember when I was a Sunday school teacher at Eastside and at, Sne at Snellville, and they'd come in and say, Marty, your class is getting big. We need to split it. And so it's like, yeah, 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 I know, split it. But, you know, but from my class at Snellville, somebody came back to me after I'd been gone for like three years, and they showed me that every young married class at Snellville had come from my class, that I had started and discipled those teachers when I was there. And so, but there's a life cycle. You have to let the life cycle play out. So Justin may be with me a while. Justin may go because George Busby's grandson, he is now capable of doing one. And uh, Justin likes him. He may go with him. And that's good. Praise God. But it just depends on the person. See, that's why it's messy. It's just messy. It's not, you just can't. But what you do is you, you find, it's like Timothy, you just find faithful Faithful guys, and God does that. He He shows you. He He shows you which one, and and then He actually works in their heart, of course. Well, let me let me go further. So, um, the, the Sunday school teacher that's a disciple, it has to go outside of Sunday with others, and and you have to use a plan to get them in the Word. Okay, and 
they have to, to your point, they have to develop other people to do the same thing. Because a disciple is not really a disciple until they are discipling somebody else. Right? Would you agree with that? Yeah. Now, the question is, how many in our churches are discipling others right now? How many, what percentage in your church do you think are discipling others? Less than one. Less than 1%, yeah. Did we yes. ask this question? Yes. How many people in here were discipled? Were discipled? Did anybody in here have the, the pleasure of someone pouring into you? Look at that. See, if Jim Nossett hadn't have done what he did with me, I'm not sure where that I would be where I am today because of that. I would have not had that discipline and that I knew that I needed in my own life. Because when you get with them, you're really not just discipling them. God's using it to grow you. So, you know, you're, you'd be fooling yourself to think that you're mature enough to, to disciple other people and you not really need it. Right? I was uh, active in church for a long time. I was actually in my early 30s before an older man said, Larry, would you like to meet me for coffee? Yeah. And read this book together. Yeah. And let's talk about it. And he gave me a book by A.W. Tozer. And he said, yep. no, you read this, read chapter one. And in three days, we'll meet there at the Atlanta Bread Company. Yeah. And we'll, and that's the first time. Is that the first time? Yeah. Somebody ever, I ever met with another person outside of church to yeah. talk about. But that yeah. was instrumental in my life as well. Amen. Well, it's going to, you know, we were talking whether it's on living missionally or making disciples, at some point, we as Southern Baptists have to cross this line to where we understand that it's more than just having church visitation or it's more than just teaching a Sunday school class. It's, 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 most people don't even know, they don't really have relationships with the neighbors, the people who live by them necessarily. And that should be like their first mission field outside the family. And we, we just don't do it. And then we don't, we just assume people are going to grow. And like Justin, I tell you what, without discipleship, Justin, he wouldn't do, he's got too much stuff he's having to unpack in his life. He's, in fact, well, so cool at Christmas. His mother and daddy came to the Christmas Eve service. He said he always goes over to their church. But they wanted to come see the church that could reach Justin. That's why they told me. <laughs> Because they'd sent him off because he was a hellion in high school. They sent him off to some private boarding school and all this stuff. And they wanted to just come see what this church was that could actually reach Justin. <laughs> but it's individuals. It's not the church. It's individuals. Oh, hey, I want to go into like, so let's say that you were to, um, you were to actually go outside a Sunday morning and you set aside just one block of time. It could be any time on your calendar when you could just sit down with a couple of folks or whatever that you could pour into. Uh, what are the tools you can use? Now, your, your guy used a Tozer, uh, Tozer book, who is one of my favorite. Um, love his stuff. Uh, one of the things I've wrestled with is that the number one factor on them growing spiritually is them being able to get into the Word daily. So what's it going to take to get them there? Let me introduce you to some tools, okay? I don't, I mean, yeah, I recommend these, but I know there's a bunch of others. Uh, anybody ever heard of Replicate? 
It's a guy named uh, Robbie. Robbie. The Galilee? Yes, Galilee. Robbie Galilee. Good going. So uh, Robbie has quite a story. He was pastor of Brainerd Baptist in Chattanooga, and now he's up at Long Hollow in Nashville. And uh, he didn't come to know Christ until he was in his 30s, I guess. So he came up with something, and, and that's just, he's trying to get out there. It's replicate ministries. And he's come up with a, uh, an app. And so I actually have some guys doing this now. That's really cool. And um, what, it, what it involves, well, he has what's called a 260 plan. So in 260 days, he's basically taken scriptures and um, that, um, and he encourages, if you're discipling, that everybody in that group read those. There's five a week. He tries to get them strategically um, to where they um, give you the full um, of the Bible. And then uh, each week there's two memory verses associated with it. And then he teaches an approach called here. Now, here's what I want to do. So, in fact, you can actually access that on, on this website, replicate.org. What I want to show you is, and I really encourage you, if you have a, in your cell phone or whatever, download his app. Now, let me see through the wonders of technology if it's going to work for me right off out of the gate on my iPad. I want to show you, I want to introduce you to this app. It's free. And, uh, yeah, okay, it's just not real big. How about if I go to landscape, a little bit bigger. Okay, so let me tell you what this is about. So, get the picture, and I'm actually going to roll this out. Uh, I'm going to start this with my guys. And then, come January, I'm doing it church-wide. Through my life groups, through the Sunday school classes, and we are going to challenge all the men and women to get in discipleship groups. And it's going to take me till then to get all the teachers on board and so forth. But what happens is if you do it, you agree to read this scripture five days a week, memorize uh, two verses a week, and then meet with three to five other folks. Now let me walk you through how the app works. And again, it's free. All you do, for example, Let's say today I'm reading uh, Genesis 8. Uh, what you're doing is you're teaching them not just to read the Scriptures, but to prayerfully read. So if there is a verse or verses that the Holy Spirit uses to speak to me, what I do is I just kind of press that twice. And um, then... I press this upper right hand thing, which is just to edit, and uh, it says create a journal with a selected text. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to do the selected text. Now what it does is it takes it over into a journal entry, and then you see the words H-E-A-R. That's a form of hermeneutics. You're teaching them how to Bible the way you should read it. That nobody taught us how to read it. I wish somebody would have taught me when I was coming up like through high school or college or as a young adult. Um, 
So what happens is the H, I'm going to just press the H, highlight. All that means is that highlight the verse or verses that God has spoken to me through. That's the first thing. Now, I did that. It automatically brought he, uh, Genesis over. I have no clue what it was <laughs> that I brought over, but it's just for example. Now I'm going to press E. Um, in hermeneutics, uh, what do you think the E may stand for? Explain. Because what you're trying to do is understand at the time what it was intended in its original purpose. So I'm basically going to... Um, Type in, and also he has this in a paper copy for those who don't like um, technology. So I'm going to type in my understanding of what the writer intended this, what God intended the writer with the audience then. And then you bring it up to current times and you look at apply. How does that verse now apply to me? And then I, I enter in how... I see that verse applies to me. And then the last part of it is an R, and that is for response. All right, Marty. There we go. Oh, it just delayed on me. That's why I have five of them. So now I'm going to write my response. So in other words, I look at the passage, I prayerfully, this spoke to me, this is what it meant. This is how it applies to me. This is my response to God showing that to me in my life. Okay? And then, I'm going to hit the upper right-hand corner, post. And uh, it started a journal for me. It's an online journal. Now, here's a cool thing. Watch this. Is that if I go to, um, under more, here's community. If I press community, basically... I can build my own group. So if I invite the three other guys in my group, then during the week, when we're each doing it, it will post all of our responses. It's an accountability checkpoint to see that everybody is reading the Scriptures. Also, there's the memory verses for the week. Genesis 1.27. And they've actually built in as really good... Um, it has uh, fill in the blanks and then so like you know it's for God created man in his own image he created him in his no in the the image of God he uses the Christian standard because it's Lifeway published I think he created him in the image of God. He created him male and female. And then uh, if you don't know it, you can press for a hint. So let's say I didn't know the the. I can hold for the hint, and it actually populates it. See the? So it helps you. So what you do is as you memorize, every day it prompts you so that it's a way to begin learning to memorize God's Word. So what you're doing is you're teaching them how to get into God's Word devotionally and, and to study it, let it speak to you, to journal, and also to begin memorizing and meditating on Scripture. Then what happens is when I get together with my group each week, here's how it comes down at uh, Chick-fil-A. 
we get together, we all get something to eat, we catch up on the week, we give each other a hard time for whatever's going on or whatever, you know, it's just kind of some bantering or whatever it may be. And then we say, all right, guys, how, um, how, how'd the week go in the Word? You know, what, did, what do you feel like that God really showed you this week as we walk through these Scriptures in your quiet time this week? And then guys just start sharing. And typically what happens is that God then takes something and He'll just direct the discussion. And then, uh, and then you say, all right, well, guys, how can, we, how can we be praying for each other? And then, we, and then we pray together, and then we're gone onto our day. And that's it. That's it. But you're getting everybody into the Word. You're teaching them how to. You're, you're, they're memorizing. There's even accountability, positive accountability. And then it's life on life. And um, so... Um, it's a great tool. It, it's, it's catching on like wildfire out there. Now, some churches are doing it outside of Sunday school. I think that's wrong. For those of us who use Sunday school as our primary means of discipleship, because that's where the relationship should already be with other guys and with other girls. So that's one tool. Uh, here's another tool. Is uh, have y'all ever heard of space pets? <laughs> I love. Oh, you can't see that, can you? You can still see mine. Okay. Uh, well, I did put it on your handout, which is a good thing. Let's see if it comes back up and cooperates with me. Uh, that's what I was wondering. Uh, anybody know what a toggle switch is to get it to duplicate the screen? Any nerds out there? The little window? Okay, yeah, it's not on my screen. Okay. The little window on the left. Oh, has it already done it? Oh, okay. It already adjusted? Okay. You're amazing! <laughs> Did you graduate from George Tech? Oh, okay, okay, okay. <laughs> Alabama? Oh my goodness. Wow, I won't tell any of my Alabama jokes in here then, okay? I'll spare you. Okay. Hey, this is really cool. I use this. Uh, in fact, I'm, uh, I'm not going to make y'all do it now, but I have actually, uh, this is a Sunday school lesson that I did one time to teach folks how to, uh, another way to study the Bible. Yeah, would you help me? Okay. Thank you, sir. Um, it's space pets. It's a way to read scriptures for meaning. And uh, so it's an acrostic. There you go. So what you do is, for example, here, Romans 6. Romans is, of course, rich. Not that the other parts aren't, but I mean, this is it's rich. So this is... Uh, thank you, sir. So as you read it, and what I do is I'll print out a passage... And I'll give out pens. And I'll have them go down. And they're supposed to ask themselves, as they prayerfully read this, is, is it going to tell a sin that I need to confess, a promise I need to claim, an attitude I need to change, a command I need to obey, an example to follow, a prayer to pray, 
an error to avoid, a truth to believe, or something to praise God for. And uh, sometimes I love to do this in my own quiet time. It's a great way to kind of unpack a passage that's rich because you can go through, and gosh, sometimes you go through there and uh, sometimes there's just commands that jump out at you. Sometimes, uh, like in the first part of Ephesians, there's an incredible prayer that I pray for my kids. Um, Sometimes there's just incredible truths that I just need to hang my hat on. And you just, I encourage them to either circle that and to write, you know, whether that's a truth, a sin, a promise. And that's another tool that I've used to teach people how to read the Word other than just trying to get through it. See, the problem is sometimes we, we err on both sides. We either think that our role as a Sunday school teacher is to, make, is to just teach them more Bible knowledge. And so they've got all this Bible knowledge. And, um, but we've not really talked about how that really lays down in their lives. And nobody's gone offline to do that. So it doesn't always work. But that's a tool. Let me tell you one other tool. Uh, I've found that there's great ignorance among Christians on um, versions of the Bible that there are people that have been brainwashed that if you use anything other than like the King James, then you're a sinner. Um, I've uh, heard, you know, there's time to time Christians start bashing um, uh, want like an NIV because um, the, the word was he and they put them uh, or instead of him, them or whatever like that. And... Um, so I teach this periodically because I had somebody yesterday ask me about translation and what translation I have and stuff. But let me give you an example. God taught me something my last time I went last year to uh, Ukraine. I was teaching this group of college students and I had this uh, Sasha was translating for me. And I loved Sasha because I could go, and then he'd go, and I'd go, and he'd go, you know, he's saying it in Ukrainian and I'm saying it in English. It's great. I had my rhythm going. Next time I did it, uh, Max, Maxim did it. And I would go, and he'd go, and I'm like, Max, you're killing me, man. I'm trying to get going here and you keep, Ruining my rhythm, you know, and I'm like, so when I was over, I was standing in the back with the guy from the IMB. He was, uh, he's, he's one station in Kiev over college. And uh, I said, Mike, Sasha was great. I mean, he was great. He, I, he kept the same rhythm and everything. And I said, Max, boy, I struggled with him. And he said, you know what? He said, Max did an incredible job translating. I said, Really? He said, yeah. He said, Sasha kind of took the easy way. He was just doing you word for word. But he said, Max was taking what you were saying and he was trying to put it in a way where they would understand more deeply. And I was like, hmm, well, that's interesting. And that's, I remember, and I have really taken that hard on Bible translations since then. Because we say, you know, which is the most accurate? Well, the word for word is more accurate. Well, here's the deal. 
Which would I rather have translating me that day? I would have probably had been more powerful with Max translating me that day. Now, if I were teaching some very technical something that it was so important that each of my words were communicated, then perhaps Sasha would have. So it depended, it depends which one I'd prefer. And it's kind of the same way, like, um, so if I'm doing like word study in my quiet time and stuff, I want something more on this side of the page where it's more word for word. But really when I do that, I just go to the Blue Letter Bible. Any of y'all have Blue Letter Bible? Oh man, it's killer. It's free app and it basically is an interlinear so like I do it, you know, and, and you just press the verse and then it shows you every word. You press the word, it shows the original Greek, Hebrew, and it unpacks it as to what the meaning of it is and how it's used in scriptures. So I love that. But then there are, are times though where I like to read it more as it lays out, as where, where I understand the whole flow of it, understandable a little bit more. Where I'm not doing a word study. You know, I'm reading God's Word and I just am looking for God just to really speak to me and so forth. So, but I found, so, you know, there's the, these are the more dynamic, where these are the formal equivalents, which is more word for word. Um, so, these are more accurate word for word, yes, but oftentimes, you know, it depends on the purpose and where you're going. And so I found that most Christians are clueless on that stuff. I, that's why I always love to hang around, uh, used to hang away life way in the Bible section because people come to get lost there. Because then you have study Bibles of almost every type in almost every translation. And so they'd want a life application Bible, and then they'd have one, you know, in this, and they'd have one in this. And, you know, they're getting everything confused. And uh, they're Christians. They go to church. Is that a, uh, that's actually a Lifeway one there. Uh, that's a Lifeway one? There. Yeah, I got that at Lifeway and scanned it in. Yeah. So, yeah, if you want any of this, I'm giving you my email address. I'll be glad to share anything with you that I have. But, you know, so sometimes I, I just help folks to understand and then when I'm actually teaching and run across a word like you know they try to improve like the NIV updated theirs and like the word sarks for flesh you know Romans is full of spirit flesh and so the translations you know tried to translate that as a sinful nature and then there's some theological impacts on whether that's the flesh is sinful nature or not and so now like the NIV has changed it back to where they're like yeah yeah that probably I'm just we're just going to give them the word flesh instead of trying to translate that we're just going to go with word for word and then let them figure it out from there that's not one we're going to take liberties on so anyway uh, but yeah, I'll be glad to share that with you as well. But I mean, those are the things. I mean, we've got to help people to grow and understand God's Word. The end result is we want to get them into God's Word, right? Not just know it, but to get into it. So here's, here's my, uh, my kind of my final question. It's like, what might your action plan be if you are either a teacher and you see the need 
to shift over to be more, because really, listen, as a Sunday school teacher, not only are you a lay pastor, but you're kind of a master disciple. You have the distinct honor. That's why I love being a Sunday school teacher. When I became a minister of education for a while, I sat on the bench and I did this thing where my predecessor did and kind of walk around with a cup of coffee on Sunday mornings while everybody's in there studying God's Word. And I'm like, what am I doing doing this? I could be in one of those classes. Either, you know, I could, you know, why am I walking around? That's because I'm a pastor. If I'm a pastor, I'm doing less now than I was when I was a businessman. I need to quit pastoring and go back to being a businessman. A greater impact. So anyway, so ever since then, I started getting back in the classroom to where the rubber meets the road. And I can't uh, do without it. But, but you got to be, we got to be disciples. So you're a master disciple. So you are discipling because you're trying to teach them how to disciple others. So your best Sunday school teachers really would be the teachers that have people in their class actually meeting with other people in their class during the course of the week, life on life, talking about God's Word. It's pretty cool. You know, the, uh, um, uh, the, the, the president of Synovus, Bank, y'all heard of Sonovas? Y'all have Sonovas? I guess you do. Yeah, they do. Yeah, Rob Garcia. Um, he was so. What I did was, I when I was at Eastside, I did this men's six-week challenge. I wanted to get guys life on life outside Sunday morning, so I challenged them for six weeks to get together with other guys for that six-week period. I gave them the format to do. We set it up through the Sunday schools, and I had a ton of people do it. I saw Rob just. A few weeks ago, Rob told me that it has been 18 years since I've done that. He still gets together with a group of guys that was begun out of that because that was a brand new discipline for him. I still got a group of senior adults that had never done that before, guys, and they still meet at the hospital cafeteria for some reason. But uh, anyway, that's, that's, and that's one of my greatest legacies from East Side is that those guys are still doing that uh, regardless of their season of life. So what might you change when you go back? You got any ideas what you might do? Did God spark anything in you? Yes. I think one of the things I'm thinking about um, that I talked about, I think about a lot, is that you have to recruit back in office. Yes. So when you're recruiting, you have to make sure they understand the expectations. That's right. Because a lot of times we're so talking about the people that are going to be active and consistent. Yes. So sometimes we fill those roles with just those people, but yes. not really with that vision of discipleship. There's no question. It's the same thing we do in Sunday school. We sometimes we don't explain. Again, y'all may not have been in that class, but I talked about the importance of having job descriptions or ministry descriptions for everything in the church. Oftentimes, we get somebody to teach an adult Sunday school class, and we don't make it clear to them that their end goal is to develop enough leaders where they can start another class out of there. So what happens is that we've not told them that up front, and then down the road they grow a little bit, and then we go and tell them, hey, you need to start another class, and they think that we're getting on to them because we never explained it to them up front. And so, yeah, begin with the end in mind. Begin with that understanding. Any other ideas that you have for going back to make a difference? I've spent a lot of time with uh, discipling men over the last 
uh, Have you? Yeah. Good. And one of the things I've learned, I've learned a lot of things, but one of the things I've learned that, that I think is a key uh, for men in discipling others is when they become self-feeders. Yes. And they develop in themselves a hunger for the Word of God, and all it takes is the Holy Spirit working in them, triggering yes. them. That's right. A desire to learn God's Word. Then they're ready. Yes. That's when you know. That's when I know. Yes. They're ready. Yes. And the, the, the danger is, even when in small groups of men, is the men that get dependent on the group. Yes. And, and you have to, I have to be very careful about well, that's why I think you need to have like a tool going. That's why I'm excited about Robbie's new replicate is that you're expecting them to stay on course. It's like BSF. Do y'all have any Bible study fellowship? Yeah. And uh, I mean, man, you, you have to prepare for that or else you can't talk when you get together. So uh, and so those ladies are very diligent at doing that. Um, so it's almost like there needs to be some expectation of them doing, of them getting in the Word during the week, not just meeting together to have breakfast once a week, but, but um, if it could end result of getting in the Word, that's important. Yeah. Anything yeah, else? Sure, every time all those books they developed back in there. They really Late were. Eighties, early nineties. I know. Yeah, God really had His hand. Meeting with a group of men at uh, yeah. a huddle house at five thirty in the morning. Yeah. On the coldest days. Yeah. Man, they were sold out. I know. I know. One, that was one cool. person came into the group and poured cold water on that whole thing. Really. Well, hey, it begins with an understanding. So, I mean, let's let's start there. It begins with an understanding that we are here to make disciples. And it is messy. It takes a little bit more time than just a Sunday morning. But the rewards are rich and great. And listen, that's the way God intends it. He wants us to go there with them. So. Like illustration of the penny and doubling every day. Yep. Yeah, you don't we, really make any money for the last three days of you know you're right. That's exactly right. <laughs> it takes a long time. Yeah, the front end is the hardest part. Yeah. The back end the is super hard. Amen. That's I'm good. That's good. You have women. I have. I do not. I need. I. I am I going. In January, I'm going to go that direction. What I've found with women is it's that more, it's more messy. Really, I think. Well, it is messier, but I find that guys they just don't come to. It stuff. Women love Beth Moore and Kay Arthur and yeah. folks like that. And But you know, and I love, now Kay Arthur teaches inductive Bible study, which is fantastic. But again, sometimes women can get too dependent on the Bible study exactly. and not the Bible. So yeah, the first of the year, it's going to be women and men. Yeah, because I'd like to know your well. experience that. Our men have been doing it in our church and we're starting to do some women and I'm sort of helping spearhead that and it's you know I'm still tr I don't know what it's God knows what it's going to look like Absolutely. and I know it's needed yeah and I, and I even in my own, I've been teaching women for years and I know yeah. that, like you said they want to tend to they want to read Jesus calling every day and I said right that's true that's I, I'll do my devotion I read Jesus calling yeah. Stop. I mean, That's you not. can, but that doesn't take but, place but women, in the world. Or they like the, the Journey magazine. Those, yes. those different, they like 
Yeah. Or the you know the Beth Moore devotionals or Priscilla Shire. Or well, devotions are kind of an easy way out. The Bible people, study material, and they're pretty intense, but it's still different. It's depend, like you said, it's a dependency. It is a dependency. It's not getting them in the Word. It's spoon feeding them. It's uh huh. It's why it's doing because most of the times because they don't know where to start getting in the Word. Most people like okay, God, yeah. You know, like, okay, I think and this And I use month, an acronym, Inspect, that I use with yes. getting them in, which uses very similar things, like, is that if you want to inspect the Bible, you first have to get in, and then you look for a sin to confess, a promise to claim, an example to follow, a command to obey, and something to be thankful for. Very good. Which is the same, it's yeah. very similar, yeah. not quite as thorough. As I love it, though. Um, I love it. So we, that's um, equipping people, and that's yeah. biblical. You're, yeah. We're here to equip. Well, hey, let me pray this out. Father, we love you. Thank you for the Word of God that you've preserved, and it is so accurate. And it is just as powerful now, Father, in our lives. Lord, do a work in us. When I teach these, Lord, it just reinforces in my life the the need to pay attention to those areas because um, that's really what we're supposed to be about as a church, is life on life, growing disciples. So. Give each person in here just one nugget to take back with them that just would make a difference for the kingdom. And we pray in Jesus' name.